0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lawrence and this is Voices. In this set of interviews I will be focusing on issues of inclusion, diversity and allyship through intimate conversations with wine industry professionals from all over the globe. If you enjoy listening please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps us cover equipment, production and publication costs and remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. You're listening to The Voices series with me, Rebecca Lawrence, and I'm joined this week by Whitney Pope. Welcome to the podcast, Whitney.
1: Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me.
0: So i like to start by asking you to introduce yourself and what you do to our listeners so they can find out a little bit about you.
1: Sure. Well, my name is Whitney Pope, and I'm based in Washington, D.C. in the United States. And I've been in the wine industry for over 10 years, um, but I did not have a straight and narrow path. I actually um, first was working in the fashion industry when focused on marketing and realized quickly, I was like, I don't really love this. I like wine. And began my pursuit of uh, my passion for wine as a side hustle and currently still do have my full-time day job on but then I have my I have a wine business on the side where I focus on natural wine education through in-person events now that we're back together uh, but also virtual events uh, and most of my content is found on Instagram.
0: Wow so you're still doing two jobs (laughs) which is amazing
1: I like to say to my husband, it's like, okay, I've got work work, which is marketing and events uh, for a large corporation in the hospitality space, and then I have my wine work. So I do my nine to five, and then, you know, five to seven will do wine work as I need.
0: And so you said fashion, and I have to say that that really – now makes sense when I see your glamorous Instagram, because you clearly have just such a lovely style. Uh, and I'm going to get to that in a bit. But how did you discover wine? Like, how did that become something that you wanted to make your side hustle and then presumably
1: now your wine work? Yes. Um, no, that's a great question. So I went to school in New York City, the Soviet Person School of Design And for the longest time, since I was a little girl, I really thought I wanted to be a fashion designer and that led to be a merchandiser. And then was like, no, no, I really love the marketing space and was working for a for a large luxury retailer at the time and sat down with my roommate. And was like, you know, I really love wine. Like I go to all the free wine tastings that I can on the weekends. And we were just making a short list. Cause we were both in our early, we were both in our like mid twenties at the time and like, just kind of burnt out. We'd been doing the same thing for a number of years and just lost our like zeal for what we were each respectfully doing. And, um, made the short list. It was like, I love events and I love wine and like learning about it. So like, maybe I can do something down the road. I took a evening adult course at the French Culinary Institute in New York about wine and met with a chef after. And she was really lovely. And she's like, look, we're looking for interns, like, you know, here's my card. Why don't you send me your resume? I was like, okay, sure. And that was like my big quote unquote wine break. But previously, like I was lucky enough to work in wine events for a Italian wine merchants in New York. That was my first wine job. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around, but Italian wine merchants was my first wine job. And I was doing events, evenings and weekends and learning, you know, really quickly on the fly. Like, how do you really describe a 1995 Barolo to someone as their, in a corporate space, either in a corporate event, and they're chowing down on a really beautiful array of food, but they kind of want the tidbits and like the something that's a quick takeaway. So that's kind of where I got my start in terms of like how to think fast on your feet, talk about wine, and get someone to have like one one nugget that they walk away with. So long story short, I I I got bit by the bug um by just going through random tastings uh through New York because there were so many open tastings throughout the week and especially on the weekends and just a lot of self-taught learning, asking friends, Hey, do you know anyone that works at a wine shop that like I could talk to? And that's really how I got into it. And I guess maybe you'll ask this, but I'll go ahead and say it. My aha wine, that was like the, Oh my God, I'm drinking crap. Like this is amazing stuff. Cause like fully admit, like most people, like, especially like I'm, I'm in my late thirties and so, when I was first starting drinking, Yellowtail was like the wine in the US. Like, it, it was as big as any other like box, big box brand that you can think of today. Like, there was so much marketing and it was like the cool thing to be drinking. So, I literally went from Yellowtail to like working my way up and slowly swapping wines. And it wasn't until work trip out to San Francisco and we spent the weekend and um, going to the wineries in Napa that that was when I had the experience of like oh this is what expensive wine tastes like really truly tastes like this as well before I worked at Italian wine merchants and it just blew my mind and so that, the wine for me was Opus one that was like wow this is different this is really special what is this
0: that's going to be quite an aha moment as well <laughs> You'd, you chose a good wine to have it with.
1: Well, I was I still was like broke per, just a few years out of college. We like had this work trip. So I was very lucky. But then um, split the tasting with a colleague. We're like, this is $40 a person. Like, right, I'll give you 20. I'll buy the other 20. So we split the the two, three ounce pour. And it was pretty amazing. Regardless,
0: That's such a savvy approach to that kind of thing. I was going to ask you actually about advice you'd give for people who are trying to make the transition because knowing that obviously you're, I mean, you're in both spaces now, but you're still in both spaces and you've managed to find a way to make this transition as, I mean, not safe because it's never safe, but like in such a way that you can learn and enjoy wines while still managing to support yourself and, and find your way into the industry and into a space that you are comfortable in, into a space that you want the industry um so i wondered if you were going to have you know any tidbits of advice and i like the savvy one about getting in with a friend and and splitting the cost of getting into wine in some of those experiences because like you say not all tastings are free and it can be really difficult to get into that position where you can taste things that you really want to taste when yeah you're still paying off the debts from college and working on internships and
1: it is a lot, and I think everything happens for a reason. And my journey, as I said, it was over ten years. Like I went through the French Culinary Institute's Wine Studies program in twenty twelve, and prior to that, was working for about a year and change, on and off doing wine events in New York City. So it was just a very slow crawl, and I spent two and a half years. Ferociously interviewing for brand management, wine marketing jobs. And, and while I was still living in New York at the time, and ultimately, like nothing fell through. It was a lot of, we love you. Okay, now the position's on hold. Or like we're now moving on to a second and third round candidate. And then the job would just disappear. So it was a ton of ghosting and a lot of heartbreak and disappointment. So, like, I just want to remind everyone it's as much as you put your heart out there and you study hard, it sometimes is just luck. Like, you just, can't get a break. Um, and you have to make the decision, do you continue? And for me, I had a personal choice. I needed to move to Washington, D.C. to now be with my now husband because we spent three years almost, long distance. And um, it was just like the right time. It's just this wine wasn't working. Trying to feel, break into wine wasn't happening. And so I made the choice and moved. and uh, really am happy because it got me into doing events full time, which is my other passion and continuing still with the lens of like doing marketing. Cause I was doing business to business events, but that also gave me the freedom to work part-time in a wine shop. So I was able to still pursue that. And I've always done wine retail and events. So the, that's, those are my happy places when it comes to wine. You know, it just, you may not have it overnight and success. Like I definitely don't think and Wine is an overnight success by any means. It might look like that. Cause I started it this time last year and during the pandemic, and I've had great traction and have met a number of wonderful people. But that is all to say, like, that was the perfect story, right? Everything happens for a reason. We were home, everyone's trapped. They're like, I, I have all this free time. What do I want to do? And for me, it was like, well, I'm furloughed for my job. I am already drinking a lot of wine (laughs) and I've always, I like need to probably go back. It's been several years of like doing any type of study. Let me go dust off my books. Let me start doing formal tasting groups again. And you know, while I'm at it, let's just start this like micro wine blog on Instagram. I've always wanted to do that and share what I'm drinking and what I know in particular about natural wine with other people. And that's how it brought me, to meet numerous people and that's how I got connected with you Rebecca so it's pretty cool like it just it's not going to happen overnight you just have to do the slow burn is sometimes very painful I will fully admit that because you have con- everyone as contemporaries that they compare themselves with to. Um and you just have to remember their journey is theirs and yours is uniquely yours and just buckle up
0: and actually speaking of that one of the things I, I love about your blog and your social media, I've, I've already touched on it a little bit, is your style. like It just, you have a particular style and it really shines through and you are approachable but serious. You know, everything looks beautiful um, but not in an intimidating way. Like it really shows this, you know, fashion design background, also your eye for marketing, obviously. So how... I imagine this takes actually a lot of work behind the scenes to make something look so effortlessly you. <laughs> How do you manage it?
1: Thank you. Um, I'm currently sitting on 15 pages of content that I've been working on for three months. <laughs> because I think even if I'm do- I've am i done this for a year, it's still that scary. Like, oh, I don't want to post this. Like, what? Are- what's the reaction going to be? It does take time because it's a lot of fact-checking. And you're an educator, so you understand too. Is you want to make sure whatever you're putting out is factually correct, but also in a way that's going to be received by the audience. So I I do a number of drafts. I start with everything handwritten, and then I type it up and I edit down. And I I my husband is my editor basically. It's like does, but he's my editor in the way of like, does this make me sound like an asshole? So like. <laughs> is this okay it's like yeah okay so I'm not talking over to someone or talking at them and just it's a a way to all right let's remain relatable and then sometimes I do think about my outfits like well what am I what is this going to look like what's the background going to be but still really simple so it carries like who I am through whether it's a, um, a lot of the colors like Pink is my signature or what I like to call power color. So you see a lot of pink that pops through, but it—it's it's a, I think you, if you feel good in what you're wearing, and that's why I learned through working in fashion and it conveys through the marketing aspect of if you feel good and what you're wearing, you're going to feel even better in your own skin. And then you'll have that confidence to connect with someone, even if it's virtually.
0: Especially if it's for that. <laughs> I think that's increasingly important, though. Um, Obviously, we're having this discussion, particularly in this series, about inclusion and diversity in the industry. And I think it's incredibly important to have figures such as yourself, um, such as Tahira Habibi, who we spoke to recently on the podcast, who are just unabashedly themselves and want to show themselves in the industry and demonstrate to people that, you know, the industry doesn't look or sound one way. It doesn't have to approach content in one particular way. It can be joyous, but also educating. And I, that's why I was just so drawn to what you're doing because I think you found this really perfect little uh, space to do all of that. Um, and like you say, because you're doing the work you are fact checking, it's the content is correct, which again, is really important. So it gives you that level of of credibility, even more so.
1: Thank you. No, and it's I love to hear it. And I know you've also had Jade Marley on this um, podcast. So like, it's an honor to be alongside them. But you know, in the cadence, I'm just thinking of like the, the, this is the cadence of your episodes. (laughs) There, it's a good group of, to be uh, in company with. Yeah, it's fact-checking. And I think by, you can always, I don't know if you find this to be true at other aspects of your life, but like when you're talking about the social media and the education piece or connecting with one another on social media, I think everyone wants to be quantity, quantity, quantity. And I think there's something just about the quality if you just stop and like, what is the nugget that someone is going to have the most questions about? Like how can you break down... You know, I've done and it's I've even noticed now I'm like I have to go back and redo it. Like I did one of my first reels, inter- educational reels was about what is natural wine. And like that like was well received and it's just like boiling it down to the simple thing. And then the extension of that was a slider about like, well, actually like there's a spectrum of natural wine. It is not funky and crazy and you know, just all this wild and raw quality, that's like one aspect of it. But then you have winemakers that have been making wine natural, low intervention for Edinburgh, just because that is how they've always approached it. They're coming from it from a very traditional agricultural approach, whereas we're so, especially in the United States, inundated with um, commercial wines. And there's nothing, again, I just talked about Yellowtail. So there's nothing wrong with commercial wine, every wine has its place. So similar to Tahira, just being, you know, every person has its place within this industry, just being themselves, like we are we should be the same about like what the wine types that we're interacting with and we are we are consuming. Every wine has its purpose in place and every person has its purpose in place in the industry as exactly as they are.
0: That's such a great perspective because some people can be so dogmatic about the type or the style of wine that they consume. But I I personally like to think that I'm an, an equal opportunities drinker uh, and will take something on its merits. So. Uh, but I do want to dive a little bit into natural wine because obviously it's your passion. And I know that recently you've you've picked up your WSET Level Two award again, uh, and you've been and you're studying hard. <laughs> so, I, but obviously, quite a lot of these qualifications don't really touch so much on natural wine. You know, the formal qualifications don't really talk about it so much. So, how do you help people getting started in natural wine? Because I think some people are worried that maybe it's intimidating. You know, it's a It's a a group that um, might be hard to break into. They don't know where to start. So what are your tips for our listeners about how they could get started
1: to enjoy natural wine? No, it's actually, your first, you're correct. It's not spoken about really informal um, WSCC wine education. And for me, looking back, um, the culinary program I went through for... The French Culinary Institute, that was, I studied under several master psalms, like they they taught the coursework and the lead instructor did speak about natural wine, but only really in the sense of like Nicolas Chouli and just how he was approaching biodynamics. So that's where it was learning about it more from the, the farming and viticultural aspect versus this dogmatic philosophy that we've. We're now experiencing um, as like this is clean wine, this is natural wine, and this is all other, which is more of a scare tactic. We'll get into that later. But so there's, there, there is a lot and it can be overwhelming. I think for anyone, it's just, you could start by Googling, like that is a simple way, like in the United States, Vine Pear and Seven Fifty Daily, there um and Punch magazine, those are three industry but also consumer facing. There's some elements are consumer facing. They have excellent articles about what natural wine is and just kind of the philosophy and like examples of what to find it. Alice Mirings, you know, or natural wine for the people is an excellent book and I think the easiest digestible way. The the other the other books that are out there are textbooks and kind of meaty and heady. So I think the best thing to do is is start small with a reading, go into your local wine shop and just say, like, I'm really curious about this. What you have on the shelf that's natural wine. Or, you know, at minimum, just ask like, what's minimal intervention? Like, you know, I'm looking for wine made without any synthetics uh, with native yeast, what you have, and just start by there and beginning the dialogue with your wine shop, and they should be able to help you and learn too, right? And that could be like a partnership between the two of you. We talked about earlier splitting the cost with someone. Becoming best friends with someone in your wine shop is actually really a great idea, one, because they will they really will be on the journey with you and not lead you in the wrong direction. But two, there might be some fun perks out of it. Like you never know. They could be like, here, we got this crazy sample in. Would the gr- t- we've tasted it. Would you like to have a taste? Like there's some really great opportunity there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like when people come to me and they're starting in wine and they say, you know, I don't know what to buy. How how do I go about it? It's like, go to one of your local independents, someone who's got going to have trained staff. And just ask for help because they're never going to want to give you a bad wine because they want you to come back. They want to have that relationship and they really don't want you to be intimidated by wine because they're just as passionate about it as they've always been. And they're going to want to share that passion with someone else. So I really think that's like the best tip to give anyone. like so just go in and ask and say, oh, I hear people talking on Instagram about natural wine. What does that mean? Do you have any? And like you say, that could be the start of, you know, a really lovely uh, conversation with people and a partnership, exactly as you say. And, you know, they're going to give you samples of stuff. Lots of people have stuff open to taste and you can taste stuff before you buy. You can have a conversation about what flavors you like. It's super useful. Just become your your vintner's best friend.
1: (laughs) Yes. And you just said that you had a good piece there in that it's just like asking what their philosophy is they're so just gonna borrow sort of what you said like what is it like I'm curious what natural line what do you think it is and then you can also have that conversation to define it for you. I just was telling someone recently you know, we touched very quickly on dogma. it's like who can there's dogma like there's dogma for every aspect of our life right but we all pick and choose like what is meaningful for us and how we approach it. Whatever the topic could be, it could be as serious as religion, it could be as serious as like how your work ethic, how you approach anything in life. In the case we're talking about wine, so the dogma around natural wine is an ideal, but like what is it in practice? And what is in practice for your wallet and for where you live? And just being open to finding what that means, I think that's really important. And not feeling pressure to be drinking what you know, quote unquote, the cool kids are drinking on Instagram, it's like that's probably highly allocated wines <laughs> that are hard to find. And, um and that's totally fine. I know I've, I've definitely have shared some highly allocated wines, but it's also like, I've also plenty shared great wines that are $20 that are the spectrum. They're natural to me, right? There's no edits. there's no sulfur during fermentation because that to me is a complete load. And now, I don't care if you have to add additional parts per million. I can't split hairs over that. I think there's other things you can, should be splitting hairs about when it comes to wine, but. It's an agricultural product that needs to be shelf-stabilized. Sulfur is, frankly, nature's deodorant. So, like, it's okay, and it's found in so many foods that we eat. It's not a big deal. Using it during the fermentation process, yes, I think that is a very, it's a big deal. But
0: yeah, I completely agree. I, I have that conversation with so many people about you know, it's it's not the the most evil thing in the universe. Honestly, it's not. But. Everyone has their different, different definition of what, and I think in some ways, that's why the conversation about natural wine is so interesting, because, you know, you can take it to mean what you want it to mean, and you can broaden or narrow that as you prefer. And I think that's super exciting. And having people like you in the industry who are making it fun and approachable is helping that to say, well, yeah, what is it for you? It doesn't have to be the same as it is for me. So, of course, we have to talk about Italian wine. <laughs> uh, so, and I actually hadn't realized that you've worked uh, in that kind of sphere, and but I've seen that you're a fan of Petnat, and I kind of wanted to, because we're a little bit short on time, talk about maybe both of them together, because coming out of Italy, there is some really exciting Pet Nat at the moment. Um, I wonder if there's a pet nat or, or just a natural wine, still wine, that you've particularly enjoyed from Italy, if there's, or just generally, you know, where you go for for Italian wine, which which regions you're heading to, or
1: grapes or styles? So um, I think this is an excellent question, um, and I'll be as brief as I can. So you, you think about Italian sparkling wine, like you automatically, I think from the embass, think, oh, Italian wine, that has to be, you know, Prosecco. It's like, okay, at least in the U.S., like there was a huge push with Prosecco. That is true, but there is um, Colfondo, which is the what I think is like the natty girls version of like Prosecco, because it's still second. It's secondary fermentation in the bottle. You're still using Glara, and they're just great. Adami, which is part of the VDC, it's A D A M I. Adami has a Colfondo that is really lovely, and that's about twenty. Nineteen to twenty two dollars a bottle. And that I think is a DOCG actually. Really excellent, very bright. And then if we are moving away from the Prosecco world and we're gonna move over to Emilio Romana, Mirko Mariatti, that has a couple of different sparklers that I love. Uh S M A R A Z E N. Am I pronouncing that right? <laughs>
0: You're asking the British person. I I can't speak for the Italians. <laughs>
1: But still, that is really, that is a, where his um, land is, is not too far from the water. And so there's a really beautiful salinity that comes through. So like the, the this one in particular, it's like biting, I think, into, if I recall, into a Moroccan lemon. So like you've got this tartness, the saltiness and really refreshing quality. I, I I think they're great. And that's a Tribiano blend. So yeah, Mirko Marietti. And then the uh, Adami. Those are like two great Italian sparklers. I think
0: Colfondo Prosecco is really quite an exciting category that I I hope is going to, I mean, there's a lot of it in Italy, obviously, but it's not quite found its way out as much. Certainly in the UK market, there's, there's not a lot of Colfondo around, but you get all those lovely aromatics as well as that autolytic character. And it's just such a lovely way to do something different with Clara that yeah
1: super exciting even it really like for the long longest time I sort of was like Ugh, I don't because you're missing that autolytic character so the yeasty quality you're missing that in Prosecco I think and but coming through the Colfundo way it's you're right it just it brightens it up and you're like this is a lovely grape and it just is a better it's a really unique way of showcasing it
0: so Whitney this has been super exciting uh I have to ask before you go um what's next? Now things are opening up, you've got events, you've got your blog is just like growing. I know you've got these thirteen posts you need to work on. <laughs> but where 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 are you heading? Where what do you want to be next?
1: That is an excellent question and I, I have some ideas of what I would love to do. I think I'm gonna the biggest thing is just to be able to continue teaching consumers about natural wine in a really fun and approachable way and just so they're able to take it with them and feel confident to go to the grocery store because in the whole foods in the united states you can actually find um, a number of natural wine or minimal intervention wines you can't get at major stores but like they want it they're located near whole foods like be empowered to go and buy their wine from the market there and be also equally as powered to find it at their local wine shop and that building that relationship. So, just giving people the tools to succeed and just have fun. I mean, I'm, I'm headed to my first wine trip in a couple of weeks um, in several years. So I'm really excited uh, to be going back to California um, and, and going through Napa and Sonoma.
0: Oh, wow. I'm I'm so jealous. <laughs> I love Italian wine, but I love American wine so much. And uh, I have a a friend based uh, in in Seattle, and I'm keep trying to get him to taste some of the wines that are close to him because I'm like, if I can't taste them, because it's quite difficult to get here, like please taste them for me. (laughs) So yeah, I'm I'm excited for for things to open up a little bit and maybe for some trips to be coming in the near future.
1: Yes, and please, well, if you ever come to the states, let me know. And I think that's the most exciting thing. I'm excited to to visit wineries, but I'm more so excited to meet all the wine friends that I've made in the last year and like see them in real life. It's like, oh my God, we're going to have dinner. This is fantastic. Or just share a glass of wine in real in person.
0: Whitney, thank you so much for joining me today on the Italian Wine Podcast. Where can our listeners find you online and on social media if they haven't found you already?
1: Sure. Um, I'm on uh, Instagram at underscore wit and wine. And then my website is witandwine.com. So I'm always open to questions. And I love just meeting to new people and chatting all things wine and a little bit about fashion too. So
0: <laughs> guys, seriously, go and check out what Winnie's doing because it's, it's just so joyful and so beautiful and yet so educational. I'm, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe, and of course, donate on our website so we can make sure these great conversations keep flowing.